Story with Words, a Portsmouth Poetry Podcast. So you think you don't like poetry? Josh Brown investigates the poetry of popular music, from Robert Burns to Bruce Springsteen, from sonnets to rap. People often tell me they don't like or get poetry, but everyone loves poetry. It's just a lot of people don't know that they do. Ask anyone to name their favourite singer, band, song or album and they can tell you. The only difficulty is choosing which of several albums or songs are the ones they love the most. And here's the thing. Popular song is just poetry set to music. Often not very good poetry, but poetry nonetheless. Musicians prioritise the music so the lyrics suffer. Music can move us without words, so it doesn't matter if the lyrics aren't in the same class. But that's not always so. When the poetry of pop is good, it's brilliant. This has always been the case. Poets of the Middle Ages, known as troubadours or bards, made a living from poems to celebrate the myths and beliefs of the time. They didn't publish them in books because nobody could read. These guys were stand-up poets. They recited their poems or set them to music. Any anthology will have poems listed as anonymous, the names of the person who wrote them long since lost, because they were never published, and often modified, adapted, and added to by others over the years. Many of these, like The Unquiet Grave, appear in books and are still being sung. Check out Kate Rusby's beautiful recording. And poets themselves have always set poetry to music. Take Robert Burns. Burns collected songs and sent them to the Scots Musical Museum in Edinburgh. In the course of his short life, he died at the age of 37, he collected more than 500 songs, many of them still performed today. But he didn't leave it there. Nearly half the poetry that he wrote were as lyrics for popular tunes to which he wrote new words. And that's many of his best-known poems. Loch Lomond, My Love is Like a Red Red Rose, A Fond Kiss, one of the greatest love poems ever written, and political poems like A Man's a Man for All That, demanding equality and democracy. Listen to the recording of it by Paolo Nettini on YouTube. And then is his most famous poem, the most well-known poem in the world, sung all over the globe to welcome in the new year, Old Lang Syne. But two things. The banal tune we know isn't the one that Burns chose. The original pentatonic tune was sad, not cheerful, because the song is about a bitter topic, a political topic, the countless thousands of Scots evicted from the land by English landlords forced to emigrate as refugees from poverty. Again, check out the recording on YouTube by Paolo Nettini. And then Burns didn't write it. He heard an old man sing it in a pub, wrote down the lyrics, then decided to improve them. So they're not entirely his. But a song that millions all over the world sing and know on the same night is a pretty good indication of how important and powerful poetry set to music can be. Many great poems that were written for the page have subsequently been set to music. Michael Jackson and Metallica both produced albums of Burns' poetry set to music. Word, spelt W-E-R-D, an Edinburgh rapper, raps Burns' poems, poems like To a Mouse, We Sleek It Timorous Beastie. Check that out too on YouTube. Another poem, Byron So Will Go No More Roving, was later set to music. Many people have recorded it. The best is a saxophone-backed version by Leonard Cohen on his 2004 album Dear Heather. How about that? A great love poem, written by the greatest poet after Shakespeare, performed by one of the 20th century's greatest poets and musicians. 
the Reverend Eli Jenkins' Sunset Poem from Under Milk Wood, set to music after Dylan Thomas's death by A.H.D. Troit, is now one of the best-loved Welsh songs sung by every choir and recorded by everyone from Keris Matthews to Bryn Turville. On Raglan Road by Irish poet Patrick Kavanagh after a failed love affair, another heart-aching poem of lost love, was set to music by his friend Luke Kelly of the Dubliners. It's the most popular Irish song recorded by everyone from Van Morrison to Ed Sheeran. The best version by Sinead O'Connor can be found on YouTube. William Butler Yeats' poem Down by the Sally Garden has also become a popular Irish song. And in 1997, a whole album of Yeats' poems were turned into songs featuring artists such as the Cranberries, the Pogues, the Waterboys, Christy Moore and loads of others. Leonard McCohen began his career as a successful novelist and poet. He often set poems to music but never meant it as a career. But a highly acclaimed novel and poetry didn't earn enough money to pay the rent, so he took the unlikely step of submitting the music versions for others to record. Judy Collins encouraged him to sing them himself, and he became a recording artist. An example of the interplay between poetry and music is the recording on the 2001 album Ten New Songs that he wrote with Sean Robinson. One of Cohen's favourite poets was Constantine Cavafy, whose poem God Abandons Antony tells the sorrow felt by the Greeks expelled from Alexandria. Cohen took this poem, changed a few lines and words, and turned it into one about sorrow felt when a woman you love leaves with another man. A poem by one of the greatest modern Greek poets, changed from loss of homeland to lost love, recorded by one of the 20th century's greatest poets and musicians. That's pretty good too. Cohen isn't the only poet to write song lyrics. The French anarchist Jacques Prévert wrote the lyrics for Autumn Leaves. The late Clive James collaborated in the 1970s with musician Pete Atkin to produce several albums of poems come songs. The poet Eleanor Fargin wrote the hymn Morning Has Broken, which was a hit for Cat Stevens in the 1970s. She also wrote librettos for her brother's operas. Before he died, Dylan Thomas planned to write an opera with Igor Stravinsky. But to really understand how rooted in popular song poetry is, we need to remember what happened in the 1950s and 60s. The music industry is interested in sales, not art. So it encourages songwriters and musicians to turn out stuff which is easy to listen to. So with a few exceptions, pop songs tend to have naff lyrics. Simple themes, boy meets girl, in doggerel where moon runs with dew. That's still true today. Most chart-tropping songs aren't saying anything profound or artistic. But something happened in the 1950s. Rock and roll took popular music formats, country and black rhythm and blues, and fused them together with gospel to create something shatteringly new. It took the industry by storm. They weren't prepared for its raw energy, aggressive sexuality, or the seriousness of its lyrics. Country music had a tradition of dealing with some hard topics, black music even more so. The industry tried to keep a lid on things, but that was never going to last. The early 60s saw the emergence of the folk, blues, mod and Liverpool scenes. In addition to teenage love were tough subjects, the club scene, drugs, sex and social and political issues now became part of the popular music canon, led by political activists, beatniks and poets who were also musicians. The Liverpool scene was not just about the Beatles playing at the cavern. It was also a poetry scene that gave us Roger McGough, Brian Patton, 
and Adrian Henry. Adrian Henry's poems mirror both the subject matter and style of pop songs, so no surprise that he formed a poetry rock group, The Liverpool Scene, whose first album was produced by DJ John Peel. The 60s gave us the singer-songwriter, no longer songs written by low-paid hacks in studio basements, but lyrics by people who read poetry and for whom the words were as important as the tune. Some were obvious poet-musicians like Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell and Tom Waits, but many of them were just performers who cared. Overnight, the lyric quality of chart-topping recordings changed. Lyrics, even in rock songs, could be outstanding poetry. Some of those names are obvious, Bob Dylan, of course, a singer-songwriter who considered himself a poet first and even took his pseudonym from one of poetry's greats. His early songs were aggressive political diatribes and he wrote poetry to adorn the covers of other people's albums. Can popular song be poetry? Well, let's take just one line from one Dylan song, Visions of Johanna, written about in and about the legendary Hotel Chelsea in New York. It goes, The ghost of electricity howls in the bones of her face. Or what about his dystopian beatnik view of the world in Desolation Row? The Chelsea was the home of poets and writers like Dylan Thomas. It was the legend for Leonard Cohen's famous tryst with Janis Joplin. You were famous. Your heart was a legend. Another poem song. Poet-songwriters revolutionised popular music in quality, style and content, aided and encouraged by experimentation and the investigation of topics the record industry had never allowed. His second album, Freewheeling Bob Dylan, with its cover of him and Susie Rotolo walking through a snowbound Greenwich village, was withdrawn by the record company to replace some content it didn't like. Three songs were replaced, but not before they'd been copied, and that led to bootlegging. One of these was Percy's song, a conversation with a US judge about the harsh sentencing following a driving accident. Questioning the American legal system was too much for the record executives, but this song, later released by Fairport Convention, was not new. It was a version of a centuries-old poem about faith in the form of a dialogue between one person who asked probing questions of another. It's been around since Tudor times. It's found in the plays of Shakespeare and in his poem Hey Ho the Wind and the Rain, which Dylan reworked into Percy's song. He even restructured Shakespeare's lines into the closing refrain. But the only guitar song my guitar would play was the O oh, Cruel Wind and the Rain. As the 60s progressed, it became possible for folk singers to express themselves and investigate serious topics and not just beat influenced folk nicks and the music left. In my first term at university, I heard the latest single by the Kinks, a story of two lovers who meet at Waterloo on a Friday evening, told through an observer from a position of lonely singledom. My first thought was, God, Ray Davis has set a poem by W.H. Auden to music. The similarity to the poetry of Eliot and Auden was no accident. Himself a poet, Ray Davis is a fan of both, and he's still doing it. His 2017 album contains a searing attack on the superficiality of modern life set in a shopping mall, whose chorus asks, but where is the poetry? The late George Melly, jazz musician, writer and expert on surrealist art, wrote of the battle between the record company magnets and the new musicians who came from the streets in the 1950s and 60s in his book, Revolt into Style. 
He argued that popular music went through six to eight year cycles in which new styles challenged for artistic independence and the record executives slowly exploited. He predicted the rise of the likes of Simon Cowell and artificially created boy bands. Melly was certainly right that there would be repeated intervals in which poetry would reassert itself in pop. The 70s saw punk with bands like The Clash reaffirming politics in pop and clearly beat influenced poetry in the lyrics. Shane McGowan and the Pogues took aggressive punk back to the poetry and traditions of Irish folk. Songs like Fairy Tale of New York, a really bitter piece of poetry, influenced by the holy poetic novelist J.P. Don Levy, evidence a writer working in music from a grounding in poetry that's every bit as worthy as of Paddy Kavanagh. An even bigger poetry-linked revolution in popular music came with the advent of rap. Hip-hop is clearly 50s-era stand-up poetry taken up by a new demographic for a new but similar purpose. As George the Poet puts it, rap's the poetry of poverty turned into a commodity. Okay, now, rappers had some bad rap, and yeah, the pun was intended. The fixation of some artists on bling, Neanderthal sexism and homophobia set rap back and encouraged the pimp-stereotype racist cliché that has dogged black America for decades. But rap produced great poetry in the same way graffiti produced groundbreaking art. You only have to listen to the likes of Storm Z, Eminem, Tupac or Jay-Z. Empire State of Mind examines the move from ghetto to Tribeca wealth and was recorded with Alicia Keys, the only singer to be mentioned in a Bob Dylan lyric. Recently, a Cambridge literary professor compared Eminem to Robert Burns. And here's another thing. Rap uses the same metric format, whether it's slow or machine gun fast. And the metre of rap is iambic pentameter, a type of metric line used in traditional English poetry and verse drama. Each line of the verse has five metrical feet, consisting of one short or unstressed syllable followed by one long or stressed syllable. Poets who have written this way include John Donne, Robert Browning, Keats, and yes, William Shakespeare in his sonnets and plays like Macbeth. Just think of that timeline. Shakespeare, Don, Keats, Browning, Stormzy. UK rapper, author, poet and activist Akala runs workshops for schools and colleges called Hip Hop Shakespeare to examine the links between classical poetry and modern rap. He starts by showing his audience a series of quotes. They have to decide which are from Shakespeare and which are from rap songs. Audiences routinely get them wrong, dismissing Will as rap and thinking rap lyrics as Shakespeare. And the process feeds back. One of the greatest poets today is Jericho Brown, a southern US professor whose latest collection, The Tradition, won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize. Jericho is the voice of black and gay America, following in the noble footsteps of Audre Lorde, Maya Angelou and Langston Hughes. And Jericho has created a new poetry format, duplex. He took the Shakespearean sonnet and cut it down from 14 lines to stanzas of around four. He calls it the gutted sonnet. Then for subject, he took the traditional Arabic poetry known as Guzal, which deals with a mixture of pain and joy in life, famously given by Shakespeare in his oxymoron about love. Parting is such sweet sorrow. The other ingredient of duplex is the influence in lyric styling of black soul and gospel the greatest single contribution the USA has, despite racism, made to the world. 
check out our review of the tradition on our website. Another fine example is singer Amelda May's response to the killing of George Floyd last year. You don't get to be racist and Irish. Not just a polemic, it's some of the finest poetry of recent years. And you can check that out on YouTube too. Now there isn't time to investigate loads of song lyrics that meet the benchmark of good poems, so let's just take just one. An unlikely one, Bruce Springsteen. The full-on East Coast rock of the man they call a boss isn't what you'd expect to be poetry, but look closer. Springsteen, the man for whom the term punk rock was originally coined, became the voice of disaffected American working class and their problems through anthemic rock songs. But what clinched it is the poetry of his lyrics. A couple of examples. The River, title track of a 1980 album, tells of the marriage of a working class couple and it was based on Springsteen's sister and her husband and how their marriage struggled under the pressure of the economic recession. It's a common theme in his work. It's powerful, worthy of any modernist poet. One line reads, Is a dream a lie if it don't come true? Or is it something worse? Concise poetry, setting out a potent philosophical and political question. You could run a seminar on that. Backstreet's on the 1975 album Born to Run, has the same theme, a summer love affair between two kids which ends in heartbreak. Having chronicled the breakdown of the relationship, Springsteen gives us this. Remember all the movies, Terry, that we'd go see, trying to learn how to walk like the heroes we thought we had to be. Meticulously crafted metre and rhyme, posing his existential question about youth and the destructive role of the media. There's a huge seminar in that one too. So hopefully you've started to list your own songs, singers, albums that fit the poetry model. The religious philosophy of Mike Scott of the Watergate Boys, maybe. Emmylou Harris' Requiem to Graham Parsons' Boulder to Birmingham. Mike Skinner's raw poetry in a grand don't come easy as the streets. The New York punk of Lou Reed, the chansons of Edith Piaf, the political songs of Elvis Costello from the recession 80s, the Sufi folk of Richard Thompson, the heart-stopping dark songs of Nick Cave, Tom Waits, or the Killers, The Clash, Jacques Brel, David Bowie, Eminem. I'll stop now and let you imagine your own catalogue while you ask yourself, do I really not like poetry? Our next podcast, Remembering Robert Graves, looks at the life and work of one of the most important 20th century poets as part of Portsfest 21, with actor Stuart Aleska, who, as a young man, met Graves in Mallorca. Visit the Portsfest website, or our own, for a full list of the shows and events next July. Thank you for listening.